HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Now streaming from HRN, this is The Feed Feed. I'm Jay Cohen, Editorial Director of The Feed Feed, the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source of what to cook, bake, and drink. Occasionally joined by our co-founders, Julie and Dan Resnick, we sit down with leaders and upstarts of the food media realm. So we often say that we're, as Feed Feed, answering this sort of age-old question, which is, what do we eat for fill-in-the-blank, breakfast, lunch, dinner? Our approach to doing so involves lifting up voices from culinary content creators all over the world, no matter how big or small their following is. This podcast takes the democratization of food media one step further by giving a behind-the-scenes look of the Epicurean magazines, websites, videos, and accounts you digest every day. We'll discuss everything from breaking into the industry, navigating social media. That's been my bigger social media thing is like, I think like I just get bored very quickly. And even when things are working really well, I'm like, everyone's doing this. I don't want to do this anymore. Building and growing community. People are like, why is it five E's? And I'm like, I don't know. When you say eats, how many E's does that feel like it sounds like? And that's why. No real good rhyme or reason to any of it, but that's also kind of been our style this whole time and producing content that resonates with young and old. You know, if someone doesn't like my writing or the photographs of my book or the design, that's subjective. But if I see that a recipe didn't work, that I really failed someone. So whether you want to know what goes into food styling a magazine cover, the process of getting a cookbook deal, understanding what the hell TikTok is, or grasping how a recipe can go viral. I mean, I guess the thing about going viral, too, is that um, then it becomes it's out there. And, and people start claiming it as their own. And that's happened a few times recently with that tart, which is sort of depressing. Mm, but... Drag them. <laughs> Name names. I'm not naming no. any names, but you know who you are. <laughs> we'll be covering it all. This is the Feed Feed Podcast. Subscribe to the Feed Feed wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni, and it's, it's January 28th, 2020. It's a special year for us. We're going into our 11th year. We just celebrated 10 years of Heritage Radio Network, and uh, we give a big shout-out to heritageradionetwork.org. We've got some great guests joining us tonight, um, some of whom have been on before. Uh, Beer Boom, the movie documentary is finally out. It's, it's, it's going to be at some film festivals. Um, it, it kind of captured this era of... The, the dawn of New York City craft beer, and uh, you guys introduce yourselves, the filmmakers, because you guys you guys have been on the show before, and we've been f- waiting, you know, eagerly for this to come out. I'm uh, Eric Schleier, one of the producers of Beer Boom, and uh, Andrew Corey, the other filmmaker in the film. So, Eric, you said the last time you were on it was like 2016. You were doing a Kickstarter for this film. Yes, we were we were doing a Kickstarter, looking to raise money to produce the film. And uh, we made it. Uh, help! Thank you for the help. Um, so we made our Kickstarter, and uh, from there we just really got the ball rolling, and we started interviewing more brewers and 
really got the uh, post-production process going, and uh, it's been a whirlwind ever since. Yeah, and, and thank you again for, for having us on the show. Well, let's time. just go through. I, I saw the, the – I only got a secret preview of the movie last week, um, and I know it's out there. You're, you're going to be pitching it for distribution, so good luck. Um, but let's just do a quick preview of some of the New York City beer people that are in this movie because it's definitely a who's who, and, and it really captured that time. It was like 2015, 2016, around then. Uh, who, who are some of the brewers that, that are featured in it? Yeah, so we started filming in December 2014, and, and we wrapped in December 2019. So we had a five-year span uh, documenting the, the growth and the change of the industry over that time span. And um, uh, Rich Castagna is, is sitting with us right here. Hey, Rich. How are you? Hey, guys. Bridge and Tunnel. Bridge right. and Tunnel. So he's he's a big part of the film, which we'll get to a little bit later. Um, and we were we were lucky enough to talk to um, uh, Bronx Brewery, uh, Brooklyn Brewery, Gun Hill. Um, we also spoke with uh, Strong Rope, Fifth Hammer, um, Big Alice, KCBC. Uh, lineup, uh, yep. Cat from Lineup. Yep, you had Yepe from Coney Island, uh, Yepe from Evil, Evil Twin. Twin. Yepe from Evil Twin. Steve Indy, you had on. Steve yeah, Indy, right. Garrett so, Oliver. Steve um, and Garrett. Um, that, was, that was a fun interview. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we, definitely a who's who, and, and we were able to talk to uh, one of the things we. We learned in the making of the film was um, how um, generous and how um, how connected the community is to one another, and um, how much they were willing to spend some time to sit down with us and, and talk about their craft. And um, it, you know that that was one of the things that was evident right away in the, in the first two or three interviews, um, and and stayed true throughout the entire process of making the film. So when you first started, end of 2014, 2015, what did you see in the the New York world of craft beer? What were the things you were initially targeting? Because it's it changed a lot. But I'd like to see, you know, curious about what what you saw through your eyes back then. It it was really interesting to see because like I because growing up here, um, it, pretty much all we had was like Bud, Bud Light, and like a couple handful of like independent beers and um new york beer like growing up as a kid we really only had like brooklyn brooklyn brewery and that was it and um since we started shooting this documentary it's just like exploded it's it's been a real beer boom if you'd like to say (laughs) (laughs) the the number of um breweries that that then had tap rooms that you could go to the tap room and sit down and drink a beer direct from the source like it doesn't get fresher than that the number of that I I think it doubled over the course of the time of the film if not close to and so I I would say that um, that to us was was sort of the the biggest thing was how quickly it was expanding and um, and and that in and itself builds community right if you if if people in the neighborhood don't have access and all of a sudden they do have access to walk down the street and, and grab a beer um, and then to then go to another brewery two blocks away from that and grab another beer. And, and, and now you're creating little pockets of, of beer lovers and beer fans and the number of craft beer bars that are popping up. You, you just did a show last week about craft beer bars and, and the, the rapid growth of those. So the, just the industry as a whole um, ch- it was rapidly changing. And so you could talk about every different – the distribution chain, the, the, the hops itself – all of those were, were growing and expanded at a, uh, expanding at a very rapid pace. I'll tell you, it's been exciting to, to see, you know, from when you guys were first shooting. I know that you, you interviewed me at, at an event like New York City Brewers Choice event. You guys were at a couple other festivals. You, re, you really covered, you know, so much. You had, I saw some really great interviews with Steve Hindy and a beer history interview with Peter LaFrance. But at, at what point did you, uh, you know, so Rich Castagna from Bridge and Tunnel ends up becoming like this, this feature featured story why did you why did you go to that you know initially were you just looking for a snapshot of of the industry you know were you were you looking for a story that the funny thing was so i used to work in finance and um and financial planning and uh, but i've always been like a film major I, i was a film major in college i've always been a filmmaker and i met andrew at a business event and we just started chatting and like we really hit it off over beer and um so I went to a local honey and beer tasting event, and there was like three other breweries there. Um, I think Finback was there, Transmitter was there, and Rich was there. And uh, I ended up chatting with Rich for like about an hour during that event. 
And it turned out like that week, Rich signed a lease for his space. And uh, so that night, like I called Andrew, I was like, hey, I met this guy. <laughs> He's pretty cool. He just signed a lease for his space and he grew, he brews beer in his garage. It sounds pretty cool. Let's, let's go talk to him. And then, uh, and then we, I was looking around to see if there was any competition for a, a, a movie about craft beer in New York. There, there really wasn't a lot. Like there was, um, yeah. What have there been any successful uh, craft beer movies? Like I, uh, I've watched this one movie like about a hundred times called Beer Wars with uh, Annette Baron, and this came out in two thousand, two thousand four, two thousand, two thousand three, two thousand four. And it was basically small beer, like little beer versus like Budweiser and big beer. And uh, so that movie actually really got me into drinking craft beer. And, uh, you know, fast forward a couple years later, I'm like, I don't really see any movies about the New York City beer scene. And the movies that I have seen from other places, I was like, I think I could do better than that. <laughs> so yeah, there, there's a few that have been made, but, um, you know, uh, when you watch the film, you, you can really tell how authentic authentic of a story Rich has. And um, as Eric mentioned, um, we we came across Rich very early in, in the filmmaking process. He was literally the second interview that, that we had. And um, we walking into the film, we, we didn't have an intention to have it be um, based around, you know, one brewery in particular. And, and it touches on a, a lot of different breweries and in, in the industry as a whole. But um, we really saw how how much of a badass Rich is and um, and was in this whole process. And we were we, we think that we were really lucky to have found him and to stumble upon his story because um, we we saw that and we and we sort of leaned into it and and didn't look back. Let's make a toast to Rich. Yeah. Rich Castano, yeah, Rich and Tunnel. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Rich, I, I met you uh, probably right when you were opening, I think, at my, at my old Jamie's number 43. I, I might have been the first or one of the first Manhattan bars to carry your, your beer. Right. I think you were. Yeah. I think you, you. Were, you were the first. <laughs> and It meant a lot nice. to me. But back then, I was drinking your your, your Tiger Eyes and right. Hazelnut right. Uh, brown, brown beer. Right. But... Um, let, let's let's jump forward. We, the, you know, your backstory. You know, the the, the garage, licensed garage. Brewery. At the time, you weren't. Right. It, it wasn't that unusual. I mean, it was unusual. Right. There was Blind the, Bat on Long Island. Right. I think Blind even Bat on Sloop Sloop up in uh, Hudson Valley. Oh, and and you were that. also licensed garage breweries yeah. at the time. I remember Blind Bat opened. I think in two thousand nine, and when I saw Blind Bat. Opening, I had been brew, hand, uh, home brewing for a handful of years. When I saw that he was able to get the licensing for that, I said, "Wait a minute!" And in t- in the same year as when I when I got the ke- when I, when I s- s- scrambled up the kettles that became the brew system in 2009, and then from 2009 to 2012 was me building it, and then opening the brew- the nano brewery. But when I saw him able to secure that license that was the green light so it was like it's, it's zoning it, it was in there it was in my brain and it has to I be just, separate from I, your house right that's how right it had to be separate structure separate separate structure from the house right that was basically it and i kept it as simple as i could keep it and really i and you I, weren't I, running it as a public tasting room, right so no, there t- wasn't any right and that occupancy. was part of the mo- motivation to get out of the garage because people were constantly contacting me asking if we had a tap room and I said that I, I could just keep this address under wraps for just so long. Someone's going to roll up here one day on a Saturday looking to, you know, find a tap room. And here's like, you know, I'm trying to kind of, you know, keep it quiet from the neighbors, you know. And um, that within the first year, I knew I had to get out of the garage. You remember I was in that like frenzy to get out of the garage. Some random guy in the in the backyard looking for oh. a bar. <laughs> Dude, I had. You've had people show up. Looking. I had. Well, I had mishaps in the garage and I like the first, it wasn't even, I didn't even think about my own safety. I thought about, are the neighbors going to call the fire department or like, you know, someone going to call the cops, you know, that was the first thing, you know, and, you know, so I was, it was like, I was always ducking and diving in the garage, even though it was licensed. I just didn't want any trouble with the neighbors, you know, because I was out there at two o'clock in the morning on a Saturday morning or a Friday morning, you know. And let's, we've had you on before, but let's go back. So you started building the, the brewery. Yeah. And what what did you fashion each equipment from? Because you really you built everything yeah. from scratch. Yeah. I mean, it, that we're we're 
I did it out of necessity initially. Um, I'm still doing it out of necessity. And it's worked. And, and not only has it worked, but I've, lo- I've learned an exponential amount than when I, first, when I first started this. And so everything in the garage was built out of reclaimed, repurposed equipment or materials. I mean, what another brewery would have, I could always you know, rattle it off, what another brewery would have, char- would have paid $50,000. And I've seen price tags for you know, a 1.5 barrel system, 45, 50,000. I built for under 4,000. You know, and then boom, here we go. We're wholesaling. System paid for itself, you know, and now we step into, okay, now we're in this lag of like, you know, and then people liked what we were doing. Okay, now let's get out of the garage. Let's get something else. And then it was, okay, how can we do this following the same business model? How did it feel, you know, when you're in your garage, your kids could come out and see you, you could jump and jump yeah. in, use the bathroom or have a meal. Yeah. What, what, what was that change like when, when you had to drive to your brewery? Well, you know, it's funny. The kids took it harder than I did because they used to be able to come out, especially my daughter, Sammy. She'd come out and she, you know, if I was cleaning kegs, she would clean kegs. She's in the documentary. And that's the one thing that she really, to this day, she still talks about that. And she was four, you know. And uh, but then when I, yeah, I moved and then they, they didn't, you know, she wasn't cleaning kegs anymore. But I was like, but Sammy, we're not cleaning nine kegs. Now we're doing 60 of them at a time, you know, but the, the one thing that I have to say is that it, it got me out of the elements because it was a garage. I mean, the door opened completely, you know, it was like a roll up door garage. So I wasn't always looking up at the sky, wondering what the weather was going to be like. Now I could be inside and brew, you know, in a sweatshirt or a t-shirt. It's something that I, that, you know, after getting out of the garage, I mean, honestly, Jimmy, the garage is still licensed, but now it's a mill room. All my grains and my miller, my, my, you know, when I mill my grains are in the garage because we only have 2,300 square feet. Because in the middle of the night, you still want to go outside and do something. No, I, honestly, <laughs> honestly, when I come home and I, ha- I come home from, you know, working my full-time job, right, which I still have, you know, and I got br- to mill grains and it's freezing cold, it takes me back to that struggle. And, and even though I got to do maybe, you know, an hour and a half for that one week, for that one day for the week, I'm like, man, I'm glad I'm out of the garage, <laughs> you know? So what about, so Andrew and Eric, what was it like when you, you know, you heard he's had a licensed garage brewery the first time you went to, to, to visit and film? To, to, I mean, you can see it in the film, but ex- explain it in your own words. It was kind of funny for me because I went to high school, like, uh, down the road from, uh, from his house. And I was like, oh, yeah, I know this block. <laughs> yeah, what, what neighborhood is that in Queens? Maspeth. Maspeth. Yeah. Um, the first day that we were filming with him, I think it was it was a light snow. Yeah. It was it was very cold outside, and um, we you could instantly tell the, the the vibe was was a family vibe, right? Like he's out there brewing, um, his wife and his kids are coming out saying hello. They leave for the day, um, and and he's kind of uh, brewing and family man at the same time, which is pretty cool to see. You know, doing it on the weekend, something you love, something you do, and you're able to do it with with your family around you. So that, that we 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 got that vibe right away, um, and you could also tell that that rich was, uh, you know, kind of a, a man of many talents. He's doing a bunch of things at the same time. You know, what, what would normally take, you know, one, two, three, four people, he's doing it all and, and wearing all the hats at the same time. So it was, it was kind of cool to see someone juggling all those balls and, and turning around the corner, doing something else. And it, the whole time he, we're doing an interview, he's mic'd up, he's talking about what he's doing. And so, and it was our, our first, um, you know, we, we had done an interview I think the day before we had done an interview at yeah, Bronx. Yeah, I was with um, uh, Bronx Brewery the day yeah, before. Yeah, so we did it the day before, and that's a that's a a, a massive uh, uh, brewing setup where where they are, you know, it's it's a well oiled machine with with you know lots of people working it right, and so to 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 witness that our first day, and then to the next day see see one guy doing it doing all that himself. It was just a very interesting contrast to go back to back on those two shoot days. And, and that was, again, our first production weekend of the film uh, and experience. Yeah, and at that point when we did that, we did an interview with Rich and then uh, we were driving back and we were like, we might have something here. This is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was kind of like an aha moment. Like, okay, so we could show 
um, the larger. And then we asked um, Chris from um, the Bronx Brewery. We asked him, so like as a as a brewery, what would you want to see in a documentary about craft beer in New York? And he flat out said, I would love to see a movie about the different operations, like the like us as a bigger brewery and showing like the smaller operations and showing like the difference between the two. And um, after we left uh, interviewing Rich, I was like, hey, man, I think we got that question solved. (laughs) (laughs) Well, jumping in, so so actually, since Rich opened a new brewery, you've been working or have worked as a bartender, Eric. Yes. So you you, you, you filled up a growler today. What beer is this? Uh, This is the Glass House Mango. uh, This is a Glass House Mango New England IPA. Um, Right now on tap, this is my favorite beer that's on tap right now. Um, (laughs) I'd I'd love this beer. yeah, it's moving. Watch and it. it, and <laughs> it goes Top in. me off. He fills a 64-ounce growler. I know it's going home with him. Yeah. <laughs> Let me talk. But now it's, it's a, a selfish so, move. Right we're there. going back in time. So, Rich, so after, you know, I knew you opened the garage brewery. And, and you did check out. You had one or two other locations that you were working on that didn't quite work out. So was tell a, us about that experience. Because at what point did you realize you knew you needed to expand or open a, well, a tasting room? After the, you know, after going through the first year and not being able to keep up even remotely with the wholesale demand, which really it was a lost opportunity back then. You know, a lot of people wanted to have Virgin Tunnel on tap and we were just making nine kegs every batch. So that, that kind of like, wow, what do we, you know, all this that we're missing out on, but yet, you know, I was a purist about it. I didn't want to contract with anybody, whether it was a mistake or not. I mean, I, I've never, I've never let go of the reins of the brew, brewing process. You know, maybe we could have contracted, gone bigger, you know, got into more accounts. I never did that. I always held on to that idea for better or worse. But I knew that I had to get it bigger and I knew I wanted to get out of the garage just to get a little in a safer place. Um, and uh, within the first year, I was thinking about it, you know, like searching, searching it out, you know, and um so how'd you find the place? It's, now it's in Red, Ridgewood, Queens. How did you find that? There was there was a number of them. And when the I mean, movie like, comes out, you got to see Beer Room in the movie because it shows Rich. You went into that space when it was raw, and what did people say that this was not worth your time? No, well, I mean there was there was a lot of other spaces that I checked out. I mean, I, I if there was anybody that said you know, I'm, there was a lot of spaces, and I got a lot of that. This isn't this isn't going to work out. This isn't a good fit. I mean, I don't even want to say some of the neighborhoods I was in, but like there was one neighborhood where my wife said, listen, I know you're going to come here later on after work and you're going to work here. She goes, I don't want to have to worry about you every night coming home, you know? And, uh, that was the one that I was on the fence on right before I came into my space in Ridgewood. Right. But I wanted to be in Ridgewood. That was the thing. I, I was, and there wasn't enough out in Ridgewood. And then when I finally found, what's interesting is that I found the space on my, I had a real estate agent. Guy wasn't helping me at all. I hope you're listening. <laughs> you helped you help me in no way whatsoever. <laughs> right? And, uh, How come that wasn't in the movie? <laughs> and, I, and I still grind an axe with you. You know who you are, you and your family. Oh. Just saying. Thank you. Because I lost a great spot because they went with somebody else just for a couple extra bucks. Anyway, um, so I ended up going on Craigslist myself, and I found the listing for the space that I'm in now in Ridgewood. And it just so happened to be down the block from an account that I already had, Houdini's. The and, pizza place, right? Yeah. yeah. And I was like, wait a minute. And then I let it go for a couple of days because, again, me being hard-headed, I wanted to stay in Queens. And I thought, that's yeah, in Brooklyn. I can't, how can I do that, you know? And then uh, I called the landlord. I said, just curious, what is your address? Is it Queens or Brooklyn? This is like two or three days later. I came back to it. He goes, no, we're Queens. And I said, can I come down today and take a look at your space? You know. And when I walked in there, it was one of the cleanest spaces that I've seen. Because uh, I saw a lot. I sampled a lot of spaces. When I saw his, I saw, I, I saw the potential immediately. It just needed me to come in and, and do what I needed to do. So Eric, so by by that point, you guys were fully invested in in, in covering Rich's journey. Yeah, we um, so throughout the whole process, we were we were always talking about okay, what's gonna 
like what can we do to make this stand out? Like how can we make this a um, like a well like a well-rounded film? Um, so one thing that we we tried to do was we have a history section in the film, and then we also focus a lot on business in the film. So a lot of documentaries and a lot of shows that are out there they talk about like oh this is this hop this is this grain this is this this is this but we were like let's talk about like the meat and potatoes of business in New York City because this and that's one thing that that's different with New York City as compared to other places is craft beer and breweries in New York is a relatively newer concept for us because it's it's very very hard to do it here um, like you've got space constraints you've got a lot of like a lot of money needs to go through it like we've interviewed uh uh, Sam from Dogfish Head. Um, he started home brewing on the Upper West Side, and um, he his whole interview was was basically like, "Yeah, I, I would have loved to build my brewery here, but it, it would have cost millions of dollars." So he ended up in a smaller state, and it was a lot, you know, it was a lot cheaper for him to build his brewery. And once we, uh, it's just there's it, just a lot that that goes into being in new york city and it, it, it's kind of like a, a a pride like it's it's a sense of pride saying like i'm a new york brewer you know it's hey um let's one of your other guests just came in um this guy's going to introduce himself because I, I he's got some special constraints <laughs> <laughs> that's very kind that's very kind nice to be here everybody uh yeah, my name's Aaron Bell, and, you know... You're a, pro a producer on the movie. That's right. You know, huge aficionado and, and big fan of the movie, and, and these two guys, uh, especially Eric and Andrew, have put together quite an enjoyable film, and we got to see the uh, debut up at the Lincoln Center a couple weeks back. Great turnout. What about this? So the, but you're like the business guy, so the business of beer, you know, where do you fit in, you know? I see what's going on. So first, you butter me up with the uh, Glasshouse Mango, strongest beer I've had all day, and, uh, and now you're looking for trade secrets. Yeah, no, it's it, it's such an interesting angle that these guys present in the film because they go a little bit beyond the X's and O's of making good beer. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is the Gun Hill guys are talking about you know what makes the beer so special in New York is the water, same as the bagels, and and I just love that you get those meaty bits that are so special and essential to New York. But where I come in is kind of on the laurels, uh, coattails of where Eric started back in the financial planning world. And, you know, I'm an advisor and a partner for a small firm in Midtown. And, you know, we work in 38 states, but one of my passions is working with breweries. I I've fully drinking the Kool-Aid, the alcoholic Kool-Aid. Uh, you know, I've had a good friend, a great client who went from his favorite job, in the world, being a brewmaster, to, you know, I would call it the dream job to the dream of owning a brewery and, and starting that dream from, from a business plan and, and going up. And to see in the movie the same dream in action as Rich has lived it is so rewarding for the audience, even though we know Rich went through hell. <laughs> so wait, so and, and just so you know, Aaron is in the film. But here's, here's like a business question. So are, are breweries looking for funds? Probably yes. But are, they, are, are you placing people with banks or loans or private investment? Where, where do you see the funding coming for breweries? You know, if you've got a guy like Rich who you sit down and you score your options and you say, okay, we could take out a seven-figure loan and work like an animal and pray to God our three daughters can can figure out how to get on the other side. Or you've got the, the wherewithal, you know, the, the gravitas, if you will, to put in the sweat equity. You know, suddenly you've got other options. And, um, you know, where we come in is trying to help a, a person who's thinking about a business in any genre think about their options. For some of the breweries we've worked with, we were able to source capital. Um, you know, from maybe our local regional bank on really good terms. Interest rates are low. It's not a bad option to look at, um, but it's important to surround yourself with a team of people who cares, it, you know, not some flighty real estate agent who's going <laughs> to sell you out for another <laughs> couple bucks. And so, you know, that's, it's about that loyalty and knowing that the people who are helping you run faster actually care about you. Uh, if I and, will. and listeners, just so you know, when you see the Beer Boom movie, Aaron is one of the stars of it. And as oh, you can tell, sucks. he speaks really well. But back to that, Rich, so with the money, so it's one thing you, you open in your, your garage brewery. You already own the property. You know, you had years 
without paying rent to, to build that brewery out. So right. let, let's fast forward. Ridgewood, you, you signed the lease, you got the space. Right. You know, like kind of what Aaron was saying, at that point, did you ever consider raising money or, or taking investors? Or, or did you and Lisa always say, we're just going to do this for ourselves? You know, I mean, I, I've always worked um, and I haven't stopped working since I started the brewery. Um, I saved money, you know, so I had some money, you know, life savings. Um, I'm super careful with it because I, you know, there's a lot of people dependent on me. I have three kids, my wife, you know, four cats, a dog, a fish, you know. I mean, let's be, you my know. retirement yeah, fund. Right, right, exactly. A whole bunch of brewers now. Right, 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 right. right. <laughs> a bartenders now. Yeah. Right. So, uh, but I felt that, you know, the money that I, that I had, that I could, um, if I built it myself, I could potentially get through it without having to take out a loan or partner with anybody and so that's what i did i i kept i kept uh you know the stuff that i learned while building the nano brewery i, I applied it as long as i could so it's, it's very and, old school it's like basically there's one less stress you have to deal with there's no there's no there's no one trying to collect money from you there, there's you know, no, there's I, nobody trying to tell you what to do honestly i'm not i'm not gonna like i don't want to give myself props over it if anything i'll say straight up i'm probably way less sophisticated than a lot of other breweries. And it, maybe it works to my disadvantage sometimes, maybe often, but we don't have any debt. And it's because I've did everything myself. I built it on my own. I bleed out when I have to bleed. I stop the bleeding before we, you know, before I keel over. Like, and it's like, you know, I'm putting it on those terms, but it, it, it really, that's how it equates in my mind, you know? And as a result, I mean, I was able to build it. I mean, how, how like throw a number out there, how much a 10, a 10 barrel system would cost. I, I saw there was another brewer once he rolled in, you know, he bought a secondhand t five barrel system. You know, I, I was in, in the mix of kind of a conversation and the five barrel system cost $250,000. I built a 10 barrel system on under $20,000 myself by pulling tanks off of farms by repurposing old vintage stainless steel, that's how I did it. And you went, you went around too. You traveled in the film. It shows For, you actually. Yeah, you went with. Where did you go in the film? And you went in a, with a truck I, I, to pick I, up something. I, I used to have the woman at Home Depot on a home on a first name basis, and I used to roll in there. I don't know. Maybe she didn't know I was married, but she like she always used to hook me up. Every time I needed a, a, a she knew a, you were married, Richie. I don't know. Well, I, I kept a little covert because it used to get me a truck, you know, because <laughs> there would be a waiting line, you know, and um, so flirting, take, flirting. She really liked one. beer. That's so what I, Rich gets done. And I, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd get a pick. I'd, those pickup trucks, you'd be able to haul at least twenty five hundred pounds, right? Grab a pickup truck and go wherever I had to go. And get what I had to get. So in the get. movie, where, where did so that, you go? I, so I, I you shot that. You shot that yourself. I road tripped. I road tripped up to um, New Hampshire. New Hampshire yeah. Right. That was a boiler that I found on Craigslist five months prior, and I paid the guy, and I asked him, and I trusted him. I put my trust in him. I said, "I'm going to pay you, but can you hold the boiler for me?" And so he did, and I road tripped up in a snowstorm. He loaded it on with a forklift and then he was going to leave me i said wait a minute dude i'm driving five five hours back can you like can we figure this out so that this thing doesn't go flying off and we spent another hour and a half working together building a cradle for it and by the time i left we practically hugged each other it was like a, <laughs> it was like a bonding moment and i drove that thing all the way back to new york the next day is when i met because I, I said eric you know i'm going to be pulling some stuff off maybe it's you know, if you want to film and he was like, absolutely. He came in, and that was the day that we pulled the boiler off, and we moved all of the tanks. And I got to put a, a quick mention out to a friend. I haven't seen him in a little while. Uh, the owner was two brothers that owned Platts Hardware on um, Forest Avenue in Ridgewood because I had another space that I had all my equipment in. That's another story. I had rented another space, right? And the landlord told me that I could install a boiler. And then when it was time to install a boiler, he told me he wasn't the landlord. So when he introduced me to the landlord, he said, I had no idea you were here. You got to get your crap out of here. I don't want you here. So when one day I had to offload all of my stuff and load it into my, my friend's 
behind his hardware store and it stayed there for a year. And that day when I when we hooked up, me and Eric, um, I offloaded the boiler and then you came with me and we drove back and forth to Ridgewood to offload all those tanks. That's awesome. Hey, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a minute and talk more about Beer Boom Movie on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. My name is Brandon Boy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super-duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Check us out, heritageradionetwork.org. Become a member, support this nonprofit institution with over 30 shows about food, beer, chefs, and other things that are really delicious. Hey, um, we got this star of Beer Boom Movie here, Rich Castagna, Bridge and Tunnel, and the, the producers and directors, um, Eric, Aaron, and uh, Andrew. So we're tasting a second Bridge and Tunnel beer. What is it? This one. It's a lobster saison. It's a Bridge and Tunnel lobster saison. And so, like, you you know, we're... we're catching up with you but you're you've expanded you you've put in your you know new brewery a few years ago with the tasting room in ridgewood yeah. are you still making all the beers yourself a hundred percent i've never i've i've been i've been the brewer for every batch so what uh, so I, why I, lobster saison what made you do this because you've well, got some great ones like your your hazelnut brown uh brown, brown ale, ale yeah. which was one of the first Beers yeah, you yeah. ever that I ever tasted. Yeah, yours, a, it was the third one. Which right. that's on tap. When right people now. think about nuts, let's talk, this is what I'm talking about ingredients and what a good brewer does. People think about nuts. They say pecan. They don't think a flavor of nut is very subtle. People think pecan pie, and they're thinking sweets and spices. So with yours, your hazelnut was this this like nice hint of of nuttiness, which really round, which was a traditional. Uh, English style right, beer, right. having nuts Southern and, English and, and, style a, and brown. a brown ale. Yep. But um, so this is a, a lobster saison. If I saw the label, it would freak me out. <laughs> so so, <laughs> what? Why lobster saison? And how do you make oh, it? All right. So I'll, I'll well, what I tell people behind the bar, people ask the same like, thing. Is it red? I don't know. Well, it was redder last year, but I felt that the darker notes, because uh, lobster is a subtle flavor, so it buried it a little bit with like these caramel notes. You know, is it lobster shells? Is it whole lobsters? Well, is it the lobster the boil? I'll, I'll the... be honest with you, Jimmy. I've <laughs> seasoning. Had a, I've had a lot of people ask me, "How do I make this lobster saison?" And I don't mean to be coy about it, but until the day comes and I'm pushing beer in a lot of other locations, I'm always going to be a little protective about the recipes that I, frankly, ask nobody how to do. You know, but so don't I can us. guarantee you, um, it's there's there's forty lobsters in this in this beer. Right for a 200 gallon batch, there's 40 lobsters in this beer. Um, and you ate them afterwards. Or? What's that? <laughs> do, you, do you eat them too? That was before. We eat them, right? <laughs> so we, wait, wait. We so Aaron's here. Eat them. Aaron. So now we're talking about that. So he's hinting at, let's say, one day they expand and they have all these recipes. How do you, do you advise a, a, a business like like Rich's about those types of things to think about down and you know on the edge of the horizon however you say it that that's ideal is to have a client you know a business owner who's thinking that many steps ahead a great chess player it's about startup has its own has its own you know set of of pitfalls and, and planning priorities but then you're in the growth phase and you want to think about what are your differentiators? You know, how many lobsters will make this beer stand out? <laughs> you know, and you, you want to think about, okay, I've got the tap room of my dreams. It's cranking. You know, there's, there's great upside in selling beer. <clears throat> Where do I put the storage? Where do I start expanding the different utilities that I need? And maybe I can go off location and reinstitute the old garage, or maybe I need a new warehouse. So... Having a partner who actually cares about the business and the three steps ahead might help you with the introductions you need, might help you think about, you know, the boring stuff. Well, if I make those adjustments, I'm going to have an increase in insurance. If I hire up, I'm going to potentially be paying more in benefits. And to be able to score out where those dollars are going to have to come from might help you price 
you know, all the other things that you're, you're producing appropriately. Great. So now, but backstory on Eric here. So Eric, I just found out last week in the news, a historic uh, Queens bar was going to close and didn't close. Tell us about what the name of that, that bar was and your connection to it. So um, that was uh, Nears Tavern. Uh, so Nears has been around a hundred. It was big news about two yeah, years ago. Yeah, it was ago. big news. It, it was going to close, and the mayor stepped in, and somehow it didn't close. Yeah, it's been open for 190 years. Uh, it's in Woodhaven. So I grew up in Woodhaven. Um, my dad was a bartender there for like 20 years um, before they renovated it. So, um, so that's uh, your story. So your dad was a bartender there. Yeah, he was a bartender for 20 years there. And um, so when they dis- when they announced that they were going to close... Uh, I went down there with my with my mom. We got we got uh, lunch there, and um, I was interviewed by um, the Daily News, which was pretty cool. And um, so basically, uh, they they were gonna close, but then the the next two days, the uh, the mayor stepped in, and there was uh, a couple of council members there, and they basically forced the. Uh, so what was your yeah. quote in the Daily News? What did you tell them? Oh, I, I said, uh, oh, it's a shame that that uh, places like this and like uh, Loy, the owner, and that's it's a, it's a shame that places like this and Loy's done a great job building this, like rebuilding this place, and uh, it's a shame that this place would close because it's uh, businesses like this give the city its soul, and uh, with, with this place, the city's losing a, a bit of its soul with this place losing with this place closing. And then, so Rich, you know, also in in the film, you, you you're a big defender or you know advocate for small business independent breweries but independent businesses yeah and t- you know let's talk more about that because I know, I know you're passionate about it i'm passionate about yeah. it. yeah yeah i'm i mean independent businesses you know it, it it's where this country started um not being you know trying to be nostalgic about anything but i mean unfortunately it's hard to be an independent business these days um but if people have the opportunity and they're willing to do whatever it takes to make that business, you know, breathe, I mean, it really is like, you know, a child, then there could be a lot more small businesses. And I think that for most people, I think a, a, a large majority have that, like, dream. And... um you know, sometimes I see people like I talk about what, you know, what I'm doing and I like, you know, I, I could go a little bit through some soul crushing kind of experiences, getting what I need to get for my family on my day to day. But if somebody asks me, you know, hey, what's going on? What's going on at the brewery? And like it lights me up, you know, and and sometimes like some people feel like I could see they feel like, man, I wish I could do that. It's like you can you can do it if you're willing to hit it. As hard as you have to hit it, you know, and you got the right support, you know. Cheers, cheers to Rich, Castagna. Back to the movie, guys. So, you know, when you were uh, picking subjects to shoot, I don't know the terminology for that, but you got everybody. You got Steve Indy. Yeah. You know, you, you you got the guys at Bronx Brewery. You, you really covered the. You know, to me, there's a snapshot of craft beer in New York, especially at that time in 2015. A lot of really great, great footage. Um, what about women in beer? I mean, I know you had Lindsay. You ended up having Lindsay Steen, who, who to me is a great salesperson. Who came from? She worked at a cider place, and luck, luckily for uh, Casey BC, they have her. And you also had Katerina Martinez when she was still doing the lineup here. Um, did you decide about you needed to have more women? Were there were there any any like you know political or you know? It just uh, kind of happened. Equity that way. issues that you needed to address. It, it just kind of happened it. that way. Um, so we. Uh, we uh, interviewed Kat, and uh, she became like our how to brew section because uh, um, Andrew shot with her brewing beer, and uh, and then we just kind of like just interviewed more people, and we went to a uh, um, we went with Allie, uh, the other producer on the on the film. We went with her to the uh, Women in Beer uh, event at um, uh, at Five Boroughs, Pink Boots yeah, the Pink Boots Society beer, uh, that event, <clears throat> and um, just the stories that they were telling about them getting into beer was was pretty inspirational like i and that's that's one thing i i have to say about this about us making this movie it's like it, it's been inspiring like just to see like everybody it doesn't matter if you're if you're a guy or a, or a guy or a gal or a woman or man just everyone just going out there and just following their dream like it's it's been 
like pretty inspirational just seeing everybody going for it. And you, yeah. and you asked earlier about um, some of the changes that we were seeing, um, you know, back in 2014, 2015. And, and it is something that changed in the process of mi us making the film. You know, more women have become involved in the beer scene in New York. It's just a fact. It's, it's what happened. And so um, I would say that we sort of like grew that section in the film about halfway through the filmmaking process. So it was about a five-year um, uh, process to make the film. And about halfway through, we decided like, okay, this is another part of the industry that we need to cover and we need to highlight because it's important to that it's happening and showcase it. But also there's there's a one really uh, a salient line in the film where Lindsay Storm talks about um, – you know, looking up to other women in the industry. And um, if you're a, a young girl um, growing up and seeing other women that have done it before, you're able to visualize yourself in that role. And Rich, and, um, you have that firsthand, don't you? Well, you know, it's. Fun. I was just going to say that um, Andrew and Eric told me three years, about three, three and a half years, I think, into their documentary that they liked my story enough that they were going to, you know, have me as more part of it, right? And I was surprised. When we saw the film, it was the first time I saw it, and I was surprised to see there was a lot of footage of my girls. You know, I have three daughters. And I was actually, I was really happy to see, to have them see that part of the female brewers and you know, women in beer, because I think I, I said that to you the very first interview, that if, if you never know, maybe one of my kids will take hold of this, you know, and it kind of like, if anything, I think, it, it, you know, it's, um, it's really a message for like, you know, kids in general, but daughters, you know, females, you know, embrace, embrace your talents, you know, and I appreciated that you did put that in. You know, and when I was able to see it with my kids and, you know, they were part of it, but also like this theme that I've been trying to tell them, but then to hear, to see it from somebody else's perspective, you know, I'm trying to kind of sculpt them into those kind of women too. No, oh, that's great. You guys did a great job with the film. Of any of you, Aaron, uh, Andrew, or Eric, is there one question that you, you want to ask Rich that didn't get asked in the film? That's a good You question. got like 10 seconds, so... <laughs> Otherwise, we're going to close out. Aaron does, I know. Well, yeah, I've always got questions. And Aaron just, Bell. Just listening to uh, Rich's Don't iconic voice <laughs> and uh, taking us back, taking us way back to when we began filming this, you know, it's so, it's, it's an example we can all live by uh, that starting a business can be for all of us. And, you know, Garrett at uh, Brooklyn Brewery had a great great quote in the film that um, it's probably only the right choice for somebody who wakes up every day and this is all they can think about and uh, you know for Rich I guarantee when you watch this film and you see him in action and, and you see him put on about 30 pounds of muscle over the course of an hour and a half uh, as we go over the five years of trials and tribulations of him building this brewery you'll see that he's waking up every day with that passion and all of a sudden He's not at a finish line. Maybe, the, maybe he's actually at his true starting block, having run enough laps to know the race and built the infrastructure, that he's ready to go ahead with, with pride. And, and now he's thinking, who's going to inherit this? Who's going to take over after me? And you've got, you know, six eyes looking up at you. And so, you know, what I'll that, say. That, that, was, a, that was a great, I'm going to cut you off. <laughs> okay. That was a great quote. And, yeah. and there's many great quotes in that film. But Garrett also said that probably of all the people that are talking about opening a brewery, only 5% of them are really right. cut out for it. And Rich is one of them. That's so right, Rich, you want to close Thank out you. with anything? Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I really do appreciate it. I, it's it's uh, interesting for me to hear your perspective on it. I, I know how I, the day-to-day, -day, um, you know, struggles of living it. I, I certainly don't see it the way you guys do, but I, I really do appreciate it. And um, if it's an inspiration to anybody, I'm realizing when I first saw the documentary that people came to me afterward and said, you know, you like that inspires me to chase what I'm chasing right now, but I keep slacking off. But the so beer's got to stay good. That's the whole <laughs> Well, we already got that covered. And then, Richie, you know? last one. I, I, I see there, there's some stories around the city. You know, 5,000 tons a day of stone were 
you know, excavated when the Second Avenue subway was built. How, how many pounds or, or tons of rocks did, did, did you yeah. dig up when you were building the new Ridgewood Brewery? Yeah, I, I, jack- did, I did all the jackhammering myself, pulled all that stone out. Then it was time to move it. Instead of getting a dumpster like everybody else, I rented a Home Depot truck, filled milk crates, and brought it to a recycling place that weighed it. It was over 10,000 pounds. It's an exciting part of the film, guys. You can see him putting stones and milk crates and sliding them out. And, you yeah. know, you, you did it. It's probably the one. You probably won't build another brewery. I, and I can I'm say building that. another one now, oh, yeah. actually. <laughs> <laughs> so we got a lot. Let's go sequel, around the room, sequel. guys. Everybody say their names and, and, and their affiliation, and we're going to close this out. Uh, Eric Schleier, filmmaker, Beer Boom. Beer Boom, the movie. Andrew Corey, filmmaker. Beer Boom the movie and also please uh, follow us on Instagram at Beer Boom Movie to uh, get updates on when we will be releasing the film for mass consumption. Looking forward to it guys. Yeah, Aaron Bell, advisor at CPAF, top 400 advisory group and huge fan of Beer Boom. And film producer. <laughs> All right. Rich Castagna, Bridge and Tunnel Brewery, Queens, New York and soon to be Liberty, New York. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much. I I think I, I had a sneak peek of that a while ago. Thanks so much for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. If you have any questions for us at Beer Sessions Radio, you can email us at askbeersessionsradio at gmail.com and we'll answer on the air. Next week, if you're listening live, we'll be hosting the team from Hopewell Brewing who will be visiting from Chicago. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producer, Dylan Hoyer, our intern, Kevin Chang-Barnum, and engineer extraordinaire, Matt Patterson. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.